are you on? Really, what path are you following today? Now, your path could be a lot of things. It may be a walk in the woods, a, a path beaten down by many people going that way. It may be well established, easy to follow out through the woods to see something. It might be a sidewalk. Maybe you're following the path of a sidewalk some direction. Or perhaps you're driving in your car and you're following a paved highway. Well, that's a kind of path. It's going to lead somewhere. The question is, what path are we following and where will it lead us? Because all of us, everyone follows a path. And today on Faith Is, we want to talk about the path that we're following and get some wisdom from Psalm 1. See, I was thinking about the path business a little bit because a couple of weeks ago, I was able to go to South Carolina and spend a few days there, and I walked some paths, some different paths. I took the well-traveled path back through the woods. It's a beautiful walk to a waterfall called Station Cove Falls. It goes through a really beautiful forest, some easy up and down hills, a lot of rocks in the stream that you can see, a lot of vegetation. It's just so much fun. I could do it today again if I had the opportunity, but I don't. I'm back in Southwest Florida, but that was a great trail, a great path to walk. And it led me to a reward to a waterfall at the end. Well, I took another path when I was in South Carolina up at Table Rock. You may have been to Table Rock Park. And, and I didn't go all the way up to the, to the Table Rock. That's a long, that's a long hike. That's, that's not for me right now. But there was another trail that I had gone on before. And I walked up that hike and it went along beside a stream, a rocky stream with a few waterfalls. It was beautiful to walk up through there, quiet. There were trees that had fallen. They leave things pretty much as they are. It was a beautiful walk. Pretty steep hill, at least as far as I was concerned, it was steep. Now, some people probably would say it wasn't too steep. I don't know if it was a mountain exactly, but a lot of, a lot of uphill. Had to watch out for the rocks on the path and had to watch out for the roots so you didn't trip and fall. But it was a fun hike up that hill. And I got to the top or to where the, the trail turns and then returns back to where I started. See, I got someplace on that hike, but it was a loop. I went up, 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 and up, and then I turned, and it was a wide, much easier path on the way down. There were some steps to, to, to step down, some steps made out of rock. There were some obstacles to be careful about, for sure. That's pretty much to be expected out in the forest like that. But it was a great experience, and, and um, it was a little more strenuous than I'm used to, and so I felt it a little bit. But, hey, that's part of the fun, isn't it? But that path led me from the beginning of the trail, the trailhead, past some really, really nice waterfall areas on, on the stream that came down that hillside. And then I went up and up and then I circled and it came back and I ended up where I started. That path took me in a circle and got me back where I started. The other path that I went back to Station Cove Falls, I just had to retrace my steps and come back. And sometimes life brings us in a loop and sometimes life calls us to retrace our steps. We have all kinds of paths. Now, your path may not be out in the woods. You may have a different path. I took a, a path. I drove a mountain road up and down and around curvy roads. It was great fun. I really enjoyed it. 
went up to a parking lot, the top of Sassafras Mountain. If you ever get a chance to go, it's definitely worth the trip. I got out of the car there in that gravel parking lot, and I noticed that there was a very wide paved path up. Now, I knew what to expect because I had read about the, that there was a tower up there, and I'd seen a picture of it that would allow me to look across like everybody else had visited. And there were a number of people there visiting that day. You could just look off and you could see for miles across the valley because this was the highest point in South Carolina. And so I, I climbed up that rather steep paved path up to where I could see the tower. And, I, and it was just spectacular. I went up the steps to the tower. It was built so that right down through the center of it, there was a line and one side of it was South Carolina and one side of it was North Carolina. I thought that was very clever of the people to do that. But you could see South Carolina, North Carolina and Georgia from up there. It was terrific. That path led me to a high point. Well, I had great fun on that trip. I went on another path in the Smoky Mountains and actually saw an elk lying in the woods off to the side. And that, that was a that was a real treat. Got to walk along a mountain river. That was that was so refreshing and so so much fun. I just enjoyed that very much. But the point is not my paths that I followed. The point is in life, we're going to follow a path. And we want to take a look at Psalm 1 today and see what it can teach us about what it means to be a happy person or some English translations of the Bible say a blessed person and how we become that kind of person by, because of the path we choose to follow in life. And so I want us to, to walk down through that. I so much appreciate the opportunity just to kind of think out loud with you here on the radio program, on the podcast. We have a lot of fun just kind of exploring these passages from Scripture, and, and in some ways it's a stream of consciousness for me. I make some notes, and then we just kind of talk about it and think about it, and the whole idea is that we want to develop our confidence in God, and we want to know how to live the life that reflects confidence in God and that honors Him and that lives life the way God intended it to be, the way God intended for us to live our lives. And so let's plunge in. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor of a church in Cape Coral, Florida, Diplomat Wesleyan Church, and our people are very kind to give me the opportunity to do this. And we do this to benefit you. We hope that it does. Uh, but that's our desire. We hope you benefit by developing your confidence in God, because the more confidence we have in him, the less stress we have in our lives. And that's one, one of the things we're going to learn by looking at this psalm is how to have a less stressful life. I'm sure you'll pick that up. You'll pick up other things that I don't mention. But it's the idea that how do we become the blessed person, as some English translations say, or the happy person. Now, I'm going to use the word happy most of the time because most of the English translations that I looked at use that idea of happy. And, and we want to talk about what that means and, and some other related things. So let's plunge into Psalm 1. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along, I would encourage you to do that. We're going to read through the psalm in just a minute. But I want to start out by pointing out that the psalm refers right away to a happy person. Now, sometimes some English translations like the New King James refers to blessed is the man. Well, clearly in the original text, in the understanding and the context of this, we're talking about people. We're talking about men and women. It's not just singularly focused on men. We need to understand that when we read the Bible and not get tripped up by those things. But it's talking about this happy person. 
Now, what does it mean when it says this person is happy? What is the definition of that word as God wants us to understand it from Psalm chapter one? Well, this happiness is not the, uh, the flippant kind of happiness of popular songs or, or popular ideals. This kind of happiness is much different than that. It's not the uh, don't worry, be happy idea of a popular song some years ago. This happiness is the result of, of God-given security and the prosperity produced in a person that follows the principles that God wants us to see. And, and we need to talk about what that means, prosperity. Uh, what does it mean to, to have confidence in God and, and to have that kind of security? A lot of people live in a lot of anxiety. If you find yourself anxious from time to time, this psalm will help you if you put into practice what God is asking us to put into practice. So the happiness described here is is a God-given security and prosperity that following this path that the psalmist lays out produces. And so it starts out by telling us what the happy person does not do. Uh, and it gives us three ideas here. It's important to realize that the happy person really keeps their eye on the prize, keeps first things first. That's a common refrain in the scriptures. And then it gives us some some three specific things. It says that the happy person doesn't walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Now, those phrases are come from the Christian Standard Bible. That's the one I used to study this week, and I would encourage you to take a look at it. I like it a lot. Um, you choose an English translation, as you may have heard me say before, that works for you. You choose an English translation that you understand and that you will read. That's more important than the one that I particularly like. A good, reliable English translation, and there are many, is what you need to follow. But let's take this one. Okay, it says, walk in, in the advice of the wicked. A happy person does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Well, they don't take advice or counsel from people that do the wrong thing. And advice here has to, to do with the, the concept of allowing evil to impact or determine our behavior. We don't want those kinds of influences to guide what we do. And when it talks about wicked here, what it's referring to, and, and, and we're reluctant to use words like wicked and evil these days, we shouldn't be, but we are. The way the word wicked is used here is that it's referring to people who are proud. Maybe they're practical atheists. They live their lives as though there is no God. They resist or hate God's commands. They commit sinful deeds like they might lie or slander or cheat or other things. And so the first step toward this happiness, this happy person that the psalmist describes, is to not walk in the advice of the wicked. Second thing he says is, or stand in the pathway with sinners. Now that refers to, you don't, it's not a literal pathway here, and we need to understand how to, how to understand poetry, and, and the Psalms are poetry, understand the literature of the Bible. But here it's talking about you don't, you don't stand in the lifestyle. You don't put yourself in the, in the path with the lifestyle with people who do not follow God, who violate God's law, who sin. And sin, as you may know, is the willful transgression of the known law of God. It's when we deliberately do what God says don't or we refuse to do what God says we must do. So we don't stand 
in the lifestyle or in the pathway with sinners. And the third specific thing that it mentions here is sit in the company of mockers. And that, and that means that we don't fit in with mockers or some English translations might refer to scoffers there. These are arrogant people who love conflict, reject wisdom. And when they reject wisdom, they reject the correction that wisdom requires. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, but, but wisdom requires correction. And that's the whole point of the psalm and, and telling us what we are then supposed to do. So they, they, these arrogant scoffers, they reject wisdom, they reject its correction, and to sit with them means that we would completely identify with their proud, sinful plans and behaviors. It's as though this person who, who ends up sitting in the company of mockers completely fits in with them and identifies with them. And that is not the recipe for happiness. So the psalm starts out by telling us a happy person does not do these things, does not walk in the advice of the wicked, does not stand in the pathway with sinners, does not sit in the company of mockers. Very important to understand what a happy person does not do. And, and see, this, this is a progression from walk to stand to sit. It represents a casual association to complete identification with sinning and sinners. And that's what a happy person must avoid. Now, some people these days seem to be a little, and I saw this on a Facebook post in a pastor's group, and I thought that was a very good question. They were talking about, how do you talk to people about sin? And this was a specific example. But one of the things I've noticed about this whole business of sin is that we're kind of allergic to talking about sin these days. We just, we're just uncomfortable thinking about that. And so I like to remind people that, that the whole point of sin and the whole reason God identifies certain behaviors as sinful is because those are bad for people. They're bad for us. And so God tells us what we should avoid. He tells us what sins we need to stay away from, what behaviors we need to stay away from, because he knows those behaviors are bad for us, bad for people. We weren't created to sin to live our lives of sinful behaviors contrary to what God calls us to do. And so that's the, that's the beginning of this psalm when it tells us the advice of how to be this happy person, this person who, who has a sense of God-given security and a prosperous life defined by living a life that follows God and God's way. So the first thing to do is to avoid these three things that we talked about. But then in the second verse, it talks about what this happy person does. So if you want to experience this God-given security, this sense of a peaceful life, then here's what that person does. See, there are some things to avoid as we, as we learn from the Bible, no question about it. But there's also some things that we are supposed to embrace, some things for us to intentionally do. And so in verse two, it tells us that, that this blessed person, this happy person, delights in the Lord's instruction. Now, a lot of times we read in the, in the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, about how the people were delighting in the law of God. And that's what it talks about here. It doesn't, it, in some English translations, it does say they delight in the law of the Lord. They're delighting in this law or, or this revelation from God. Now, we tend to, to think that, now, why would we uh, delight in, in law? 
because our, our usual thinking about law is it tells us what we shouldn't do. And so it, it's always restricting us. And yet we read repeatedly in the Old Testament that they delighted in the law. Or as Psalm 2 here in the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, says it delights, this person delights in the Lord's instructions. Now that reminds us, and, and when you study this, that the sense of this is that it is a couple of things. One is that the sense of law here is, is not restrictive in the way think of, we think of it. Really, when we think of Torah or law from, from the Old Testament teaching, it's better to understand it as instruction or teaching. So when they had the law, it wasn't that they thought of something that they must not do. Certainly that was included. I'm not trying to say it wasn't, but they didn't understand it first that way. They understood it as instruction. It was God's guidance to them. So God's righteous people could look to God for guidance, and he would give them instruction from what we tend to refer to as the law. So when he gave them instruction, for example, over and over in the Bible, over and over and over and over in the Bible, it says to us, fear not. In fact, I've read, you've probably heard people say, it's the most frequently mentioned command in the Bible, fear not. So we would take delight in that instruction because God has said to us, don't be afraid. What's he, what's he mean by that? He means he's got everything handled and we can trust him. We can have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. So that's an example of, of why they would delight in that. And, and it helps us to think that way. But let's go back to this idea of delights in the Lord's instructions, because it also means that it's not just knowing what God says, it's putting it into practice. The sense in the verse as it's, as it's given to us, and you, you don't always get all these things when you first read it. When you look a little deeper, you find these things. But the clear sense is that it's both knowing what God says and doing what God says. Now, that, that shouldn't come as a surprise. I mean, we sometimes get stuck on just knowing, and we don't always apply it to our lives. But we shouldn't be surprised by that, because you remember, perhaps, Jesus told a parable of a wise man and a foolish man who both built houses. And when I was a kid, we sang a song about the wise man built his house upon the rock, and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. Well, that's what Jesus did. He gave that story about how one built his house on a firm foundation. The other one built his house on sand that wouldn't stand up. Storm came along and the, the, the poor foundation, the, the one on the sand, that house was ruined. But the, but the house that was built on the solid foundation, that stood. That, that parable, you can read that in, in Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 27. And the point of the parable was that, and Jesus was clear about this, that you will have strength in your life when you do what God says. And this Matthew chapter 7 comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gave a, a long message to the people about what they should do and to live rightly with God. And so there was a long period of instruction, and he summed it up at the end of the talk by saying, you build your house on a firm foundation if you not only know what you're supposed to do, but you do what you're supposed to do. 
So if you're struggling in an area, maybe of anxiety or something else, uh, maybe you need to stop and think, are you really putting into practice the things that you know God expects you to put into practice? I mean, a lot of people, they spend a lot of anxious energy trying to rationalize why they shouldn't do what they know God wants them to do. Well, uh, just haul off and do it. And uh, we'll talk about that probably a little bit more as we go along as well, because it's something we need to reinforce in ourselves that this, this happy person is happy because they have both known what God expected and they're doing what God expected. Now, the other thing to think about as you're, as you're kind of processing this, and, and we all struggle, you know, the real struggle of our lives is, will it be my will or will it be God's will? And I don't know that that struggle ever completely ends. I think God can deliver us from, from many of those things, but temptation will be with us until we're in heaven. So we're always going to have some temptations, but the real struggle becomes whether we're going to follow God or not. And, and I think this responsiveness to God's instructions is really helped if we, if we can begin to think of that as a mindset, that doing what God says is a mindset and that, and we can begin to train ourselves to obey God, to do what he says first as a, as a normal response of life, instead of stopping to wait and think and wonder, well, I need to sort this out, whether God really knows what he's talking about or whether I think that's in my best interest or whatever. Instead, it's a mindset that responds to God because we follow what he says and we've come to trust him because we know we can have absolute confidence in his trustworthiness. So think about that. Think about what it would mean to delight in the Lord's instruction. Think about why that was so important to those people. Well, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. They, they were clearly delighted because they had this instruction from God. And it seems to me that one of the primary reasons that they were delighted is because God clearly told them what he expected. It was very clear what God required. You know, we often talk about the Ten Commandments. Well, it's very clear. Thou shalt not steal. You know, honor your father and mother. Very clear what God required. They knew how to live with God and with each other. Now, because they knew what to do, they could live with confidence because they could do it. Now, many other ancient people, they, they lived a very different sort of life, and, and they repeatedly made attempts to appease their small g gods. See, they were afraid of offending their gods because they were convinced that if they offended their God, it would bring, bring trouble down on themselves. And so that drove them to try to appease the gods so that they would not bring trouble upon them. Now, God comes along and he gives his people his clear instruction and says, here's what I expect. And, and they are now liberated from all of this appeasement that, that the other people were going through. No appeasement was necessary because God told them what he expected. And so they, they could be liberated from that pressure, and they could know the blessing of God because they knew his expectations. They could do what God said, and so they could have confidence before God because they were on the right track of that. A very, very significant difference, it seems to me, between God's people and ancient people, and it's, it's available for us today. See, we don't have to, to wonder and worry well, what will God think at the end of our time? 
we can trust him. We have the benefit of his forgiveness, and we have the benefit of his word, so we know what to do. So let's keep going. Verse 2, we talked about the the person delights in the Lord's instructions, and then it, it gives us a little bit more insight on that because it says this person meditates on that instruction day and night day and night. Well, how do you do that? I mean, we've got things to do. We've got to go to work. We've got to take care of our children. We've got to do all these things. Well, don't go, don't go crazy here. All right. This is obviously an example of deliberate hyperbole. Okay. God does not expect us to go sit under a tree someplace and meditate 24 seven. That's not what he's talking about. The point is here, he's saying we need to have regular, consistent, even to some degree, a constant reflection on God's instructions, so it guides our lives, so we can have the happiness that Psalm 1 talks about. So how does that work in real life? Uh, How does that meditation work? Well, in the ancient world, to meditate meant to read aloud and ponder. So we would read aloud the scriptures and ponder. Now, you might want to do that where nobody's listening, because they might think you're well, they might think you're a little goofy talking to yourself. Well, really, you're not talking to yourself. You're talking to God. But that's one thing we can do when it comes to meditate. We can read aloud and ponder the scriptures, and that will help us understand. And then it begins after it gives us these ideas, these things in Psalm 1 that we should not do, the three things that I outlined earlier, and then the, thing, the things that we should do, delight in the Lord's instruction, and then meditate on that instruction. Let it become part of our regular consideration, our regular awareness, so we're, so we're never never caught by surprise. We know what God expects us to do. And then it goes on in verse 3 to use another illustration that was common for them. They would understand it very well. It's not quite as easily understood to us, most of us anyway, because we don't live in dry climates. They lived in dry climates. And so in verse 3, the psalmist introduces the idea that this person, this happy person, is like a tree planted by flowing streams. Well, most of my life I've lived where there was plenty of water. Now in Florida, we have two seasons, wet and dry. So I understand that a little bit better. During the dry season, it gets really dry and and the vegetation suffers. During the rainy season, which we're in now, we have plenty of rain and things flourish. Well, this is pointing out that a happy person's life flourishes the same way a tree planted by a flowing stream or we might say that gets plenty of rain or that is irrigated regularly, that tree does very well because water is the tree's source of life. With plenty of water, that tree does what trees should do. And it it lives, it does very well. In the same way, people who follow God's way of wisdom, and that's what we're seeing here in Psalm 1, God's way of wisdom, They do what faithful people do, and as a result of their faithfulness, they have this happiness, or they prosper, as the the psalm mentions, more than once. So that's, that's a very good illustration, and it's really important to understand that because they lived in those days and where, it, where God's people lived in a very dry climate and they depended upon water. They had to live close to a water supply. So they understood that water, the source of life really mattered. And so they would understand that a tree that had that continuous source of water would do very well. And they needed to have that continuous source of water, the, the wisdom from God's word 
that they would meditate on that and put it into practice because it would make their lives what they needed to be. And so this tree would bear fruit and would be leafy. It did what trees did. And likewise, people who followed what God said, God's way of wisdom, they would prosper. Now, that prosperity did not mean to get rich. We often assume that, and that's a, that's a huge mistake and a, and a huge a false teaching to expect people to get rich from following God. No financial implications to this at all. Rather, it means they would have a full life with God and his people. Remember Joshua 1.8, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night. See, there's that idea. God's instruction, meditate on it day and night. Same thing from Psalm 1, continuing from Joshua, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it, put it into practice, do what God says, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. No mention of money. It's just that jo Joshua in leading the people would do well, and they would accomplish what God wanted. Similarly, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. That's from Matthew 6.33. Doesn't mean this is the path to a get-rich-quick idea. It means this is what God has in mind when he says prosper. And so a tree with a constant water supply flourishes, and a person with the water of life from the scriptures and putting it into praxis, that person naturally prospers. A tree can't help but flourish, and a person can't help but flourish either. Well, that's a quick shot at a part of the psalm, and we're just about out of time for this segment. We're going to come back and take a look at the rest of that and some more applications of what this means so that we, too, can be happy people. We can be blessed. We can enjoy what God has in mind for us. I hope you'll take a breath, catch up. I'll be right back. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. While the cancel culture is determined to destroy our history, bringing violence and terror to city streets, America Out Loud will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all.
Pastor Rick Stevens, and we're back after a little break, and we're still looking at Psalm 1 because we want to learn what it means to be a happy person. So many people look for happiness these days, and they think that's the highest end. Now, happiness, as we usually talk about it, is not the highest end of life. The happiness that God is describing here in Psalm 1 is much deeper than the superficial happiness that people talk about these days. It, it has to do with the, the security, the confidence in God that, that gives us peace of heart and peace of mind, and that leads to a life that, that prospers before God and with God's people. That's, that's a very different concept than the happiness that, that gets bandied about when people say, I just want my children to be happy. Well, we need a much deeper understanding of, of that idea if, if we really mean happiness. And if all people mean is a superficial happiness, then it's, then it's such a disappointment. And they will be so disappointment, dis, disappointed now and later as well. So, so we've talked about what the, what the person does uh, and what the person doesn't do who wants to enjoy this life that God is describing here. And essentially, what this person does is they avoid evil and delight in God's instruction. They stay away from what God says to stay away from, and they embrace what God says to embrace. And they do that repeatedly, regularly, continually. And so they delight in God's instruction. Now, in verse 4 of Psalm 1, it takes a different turn here. And now it talks a little bit about the wicked. Overall, the psalm talks, talks much more about wisdom than about the wicked. And that's on purpose because the, the, the whole point is to give strength to the people of God, to, to give strength to us and to demonstrate to us that the wicked are what the psalm says, they're like wind-blown chaff. And so it describes the wicked in verse 4 as just that, wind-blown chaff. Now, if you're not familiar with the concept of chaff, just a little word of description on that. It's very, very uh, interesting description that, that God gives us here. In those days when they gathered their grain for harvest, they would put it out on a, on a winnowing area um, and, and they would beat it a little bit and separate the, the, the wheat or the grain, whatever type of grain it was, from the, from the stems and the, and the husks and the chaff that was left over. And so then they would toss that mixture up into the air and a good wind would blow away the husks and the chaff because they were unwanted and they wanted them to blow away. And what would remain would be the, the grain, the wheat or other grain that they were harvesting. So here in verse four, it's, it's demonstrating or describing, I should say, that the wicked are like that windblown chaff. And, and clearly, I, I'm sure you get this, the wicked are not connected to the water of life, so they dry up and blow away. It's really a remarkable imagery. It's a very clear contrast to the fruitful tree of verse three that we talked about earlier, how that tree really flourishes because it's connected to a source of life. Well, the, the wicked are not connected to the source of life. Only the righteous are because the righteous understand what God expects of them and they put it into practice. The wicked don't. And so they're like this chaff that are blown away. And I can almost hear people say, well, these days it looks like the wicked prosper. Don't look at things through these days' eyes. Look at things through God's eyes. God goes on to, to describe that a little bit more in verse 5, because he says, not only are the wicked like this windblown chaff, but the wicked will not stand up to judgment. They have no defense before God. 
because they have done what God says don't. And, and clearly, they won't survive judgment. That They get blown away like the chaff. That's the vivid imagery, the vivid picture God wants us to have. They won't stand with the righteous because they can't. They have no substance to stand. They're not connected to the resources of life. They're not connected to the water of life, we might say, that comes from following God, doing what he says. In verse 6, see, the Lord sums up the psalm, and he says that the Lord, the psalmist writes, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. And, and that's just such a, such a great promise for us. Uh, so, such, a, such an encouragement. That's part of what brings us the sense of security to walk with God is that the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Now, as I was looking at this, I thought, well, you know, I've known a lot of good people, and, and they're, uh, they really are helpful people, and I've benefited a lot from them, glad for what they do and what they've done. But I, uh, I uh, have wondered whether they think of themselves as righteous or not. And, and you know, I don't, I'm not trying to judge them. I'm trying to help them and you too. Well, what does the Bible mean when it uses the word righteous? Because a lot of us are just kind of reluctant to think of ourselves as righteous. Uh, I, I think you would, might be, and certainly I would be. Well, we need to understand what does God mean when he says he watches over the way of the righteous? Well, the righteous here, as you can tell from the context of the psalm, are the people who hear what God says and do what God says. They hear God's instruction and they follow God's instructions or they do the right things. That's what he means by the righteous there. The righteous live their lives by meditating on God's instructions. And because of that, their life is continually refreshed. Their life condition, their life experiences is, is being refreshed like the tree that's planted by the water. They have relief because they know that they can stand before God because they're doing what they know they should do. And it's a very different experience than the wicked. And that's the contrast here between the righteous and the wicked. Now, people who still struggle with where they stand with God may very well be the people that know that they're not doing what God says they need to do. That's you. Fix it. Start doing what God says to do. If, if God has given you some instructions and you're just resistant, then the way to peace and security and confidence in God is to start cooperating with him. And remember, that's a mindset that, that realizes that I just need to walk with God. These are the people, these righteous people are the people that delight in God's law. They understand that he's revealed what he expects them to do, and they're glad because there's no surprises. And so their response to God's instructions is faithfulness. And, and maybe this will help. Now, this helped me a lot. I, I participate in a, a group, then we read books of all kinds of varieties. You'd be surprised at different kinds of books we, we read and have read over time. And it's amazing the, the conversations that come out of those. Well, we finished a book up this last Wednesday, and the author made a real, I think, helpful observation in there when it comes to this idea of faithfulness to God. He said, we need to, we need to consider faithfulness to God a declaration of desire rather than a defeat of our own desires. See, if we think about faithfulness to God as we desire to be faithful to God, then we won't think of, well, we have to give up what we want to follow God. Sometimes we do. Don't misunderstand that. 
but we need to think of it not as giving up something, but as declaring we desire God more than other things. And I find that a very helpful mindset, which goes back to the whole idea that I mentioned earlier. We need to think about this idea of responding to God more as a mindset than as a, than as a battle and, and something that, that we do more reflexively and more on purpose than we sometimes think about. The people of God are righteous, if you want to think about it in another way, because they honor God and they order their lives according to his will. Well, we can do that, can't we? I, an example, I've been challenging myself and other people to make sure that we, that we live our lives and order our lives around Sunday, or what sometimes people call, refer to as Sabbath. Now, the Bible's clear that if you have responsibilities that prevent you from considering Sunday as your Sabbath, that God understands that, you, you can pick a different day. But the point is that God says we need to order our lives around a day that is set apart to honor him. And, and I sometimes say to people, we need to make that day a day that refreshes our souls, that fills our souls back up. It's not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a blessing. But that's an idea of how we order our lives according to God's will. And that's what righteous people do. And, and it's interesting. I mentioned a little bit earlier that in this psalm, there's a whole lot more emphasis to righteousness than there is to wickedness because righteousness stands the test of time, and wickedness, the wicked are chaff, blown away. They, their lives lead to ruin, and, and we need to avoid that at all cost. And at the end of the psalm, the, the psalmist refers to the, um, the, the, the concept of the way, uh, the, like the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. And, and we need to understand that that's the course of life, that's the course of life that's, that we might lead, or the path, as I mentioned earlier. The path we follow, the way of life we lead, that leads someplace. It either leads to confidence in God and that sense of security before God that comes because we know what God expects and we do it, or it leads us into the wrong direction and into trouble. And that's what God is talking about here, that we need to follow the right path. And I've been thinking about how, how we do that and, and uh, leads me to, in a lot of directions. And, I, and I'll give you a few ideas and, 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 and we need to ask God to guide us in this kind of thing. But how, how is it that we sort out our lives so that we, we actually order them in a way that represents righteous living? Well, sometimes that means we have to say no to certain things. And, and that's okay. We can say no to certain things. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Now, the idea of guarding is pretty obvious. That means we have to protect our hearts so that we can meditate on what God says we should do, and we can avoid false teaching or bad influences in our lives. And so guarding them puts a protection around so that we protect ourselves from influences that will lead us in the wrong direction while we meditate on God's words, God's instructions, God's law to lead us in the right direction. So the concept of guarding is very important. And this idea of heart is, is important for us to understand too, because if we're going to guard our hearts, we need to understand what that means. That means we guard the totality of our being. Our hearts, we often think of as just a feeling or emotions, but when the Bible uses that word heart, it's talking about the totality of who we are, what, what we think, what we feel, what we choose. And so we need to guard all of that above all else, because out of our hearts come our behaviors. 
And the proverb says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. So we guard our heart because out of our heart becomes our lives. And so that's what we need to protect. And that's what we need to feed by following what God says so that we can become like that well-watered tree from the psalm. So how do we guard our hearts? Well, there's, there's a lot of things I can mention, and, I, and I'm a little reluctant to, not because I'm, I'm afraid to or anything, but because as soon as I mention some things and I don't mention others, then people think that that doesn't count. That's not what I'm saying. I, I think we need to be careful to hear what God is saying to us. And God may say different things to, to one of us than he says to another of us. But let me give you just a couple of ideas that I think are, are kind of big picture things. We need to guard against evil and damaging influences. And it's become kind of popular to make the news media a whipping boy of sorts these days. But I have to tell you, I have, have had enough experience in life and I have seen some things up close and I knew what happened and I saw how they were reported later and there wasn't a lot of similarity the reporting was distorting what actually happened. We need to be careful about the news media. We need to guard ourselves from, from false information. And, you, and that's a little bit of a, a challenge because how do you find the truth? But we need to be careful about that because we need to guard our hearts against that. We need to guard ourselves against news that is really entertainment. Now, I haven't watched morning television. I haven't turned it on and I couldn't tell you how long. Uh, I, I just... I'm over that, I guess I'd say. I watched some of it for a while. I was never a real devotee of morning TV. But morning TV that acts like it's news is often just entertainment and sometimes leads us in the wrong way. I didn't see this because I don't watch morning TV, but I read about a morning television show, and I can't tell you which one because I don't remember if it was identified in there. But they were applauding young boys and young girls boys who said they're girls and girls who said they're really boys. And these were like five-year-olds, very young children who claimed to be boys instead of girls or girls instead of boys. And I'm thinking, where does this come from? Well, we need to guard our hearts from that because God clearly said that he created us male and female, and he didn't make mistakes. He knows what he's doing. And when he makes us a boy, we're a boy. And when he makes us a girl, we're a girl. And we who are committed to following God need to follow what God says on that and not be messed up by it. We need to guard our hearts from those evil and damaging influences. It's just plain and simple as that. We need other kinds of entertainment too. Sometimes you'll notice and I'll notice and oh, it's just so disappointing so many times that, that what ends up happening is that the entertainment is laughing at what God calls evil. And man, I don't want to laugh at that. Do you? I, I want to be horrified by it. I want to identify it. I want to stay away from it. And, and, and it does things like, um, I remember years ago, um, when I was a kid, I happened to see something on TV and my grandparents had it turned off because there was, there was someone on there portraying drunkenness as a comedy. And um, that was years ago. That was, I, I think that was in the days of black and white TV. So, you know, it was mild by some of today's things. And, but we need to be careful that we don't we don't get caught up in portrayals of things that God says are harmful and that come across as being cool or funny. Uh, one of the things that's really horrified me over the years is how, how badly fathers are portrayed in so much popular entertainment. We need fathers. We need strong, godly men who are fathers and who care for their children. And we've seen fathers absolutely 
torn apart in popular entertain entertainment. And we need to guard our hearts from that because it, it, it's seductive and it makes us begin to think that maybe it's true and, and we can't go down those roads. So you get the idea. I'm just trying to give some illustrations here. God may be speaking to you about something that, that relates to you. Uh, sometimes popular entertainment devalues children and God says children are a gift and we need to value them. So we need to be cautious about that. Um, sometimes killing is, is portrayed in a way that does not honor God. Uh, I'm not sure why people watch frightening entertainment because the Bible tells us to fear not. I don't want to be frightened. So those are, those are some of the things that we need to, to guard our hearts against. And, and, and then when it comes to meditation, I was thinking a little bit more about that. And we need to really consider whether we should, should spend a little more time thinking about what God says. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of a popular movement these days or fad. I'm not sure what. I haven't really looked into it a lot because I'm just not interested and I'm a little, little more than skeptical, but it's often referred to as mindfulness. And, and I'm thinking, now, wait a minute, if we're supposed to think about what God says and look at his instructions in Isaiah chapter 26, verse three, the Bible says, you referring to God will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace for it is trusting in you. Well, no, that's the kind of mindfulness I can get into, but I don't think that's what popular culture is talking about. But I want to encourage you, read Isaiah 26.3 and develop that kind of perfect peace because you, you put your mind in the place that trusts God and that depends on God and has developed that. If, if you're wondering what, to, what kind of instruction to read and to meditate on, go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, six and seven, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' words there are great for meditation and for learning what he says for us to do. When you're bored, open the Bible and meditate on Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Take a section of that and let it become yours. Read it out loud. Think about it. Uh, turn off the TV and meditate. Why not? See, a key to success based upon Psalm 1 is to stay rooted in God's word. And there are a lot of ways that you can do that. And I want, I want to give you one that might challenge some of us, but, but I want to read Psalm 1 from the message. And it's a, it's a really uh, stretching English translation to some people because he's, he's very pl plain spoken in this about how he describes things. And some of us kind of go, whoa, is that really the Bible? Yes, it is. And, and, and hang on and think about what it says and, and allow this to kind of help you think about it differently. So here's Psalm 1 from the message. How well God must like you. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't slink along dead-end road. You don't go to Smart Mouth College. Instead, you thrill to God's Word. You chew on Scripture day and night. You're a tree replanted in Eden, bearing fresh fruit every month never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. You're not at all like the wicked who are mere wind-blown dust, without defense in court, unfit company for innocent people. God charts the road you take. The road they take is skid row. Let's see, we can think about that kind of thing. We can meditate on that. We can allow that to help us understand what God is talking about because he wants us to understand that. He wants us to have this blessed life, this happy life. And it's not a reward. It's a result of following the right path. 
That's the point of the psalm. It's a reward of following the right path. See, the prosperity the psalm talks about, and again, we're not talking money here. We're talking about a well-lived life with God and with God's people. And, and that life reflects the wisdom of living according to God's plan and following God's instructions. That's the road. That's the path to prosperity. And we need to follow that road. You see, in many respects, Psalm 1 is a fork in the road. Yes, it's a wisdom psalm. Yes, it tells us the right way to live. But think about it maybe as a fork in the road where, where we are clearly told that one direction is the road to life, to a, to a confident life, a secure life in following God. And one leads to ruin, leads to destruction, or as this English translation of the psalm I read leads to skid row. Well, Jesus had a similar description in Matthew chapter 7. And again, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. And he talked about how there, was, there were two roads. One was a wide road, and one was a narrow road, or a wide path, or a narrow path. And one path, the wide path, led to destruction. The narrow path leads to life. Psalm 1 is describing that road that leads to life, where we order our lives according to God's instructions, where we meditate on the scriptures so we'll know what God calls us to do, and we delight in doing that. It's, it's not a terribly complicated thing. It's just whether we want to do what God says or whether we want to not do what God says. I think we can do what God says. Because remember, faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And don't we believe God is trustworthy? Don't we believe that God keeps his promises? Aren't we prepared to to enjoy a security of life. I mean, there's so many people that have anxiety, all kinds of anxieties. They worry about this and they worry about that. Now, I, I get it. I get there. Life has pressures. Sometimes I wake up early in the morning because I got things on my mind that I have to do and, and it's going to be a busy day or whatever. I, I get all of that. But other people, they live with a chronic anxiety that seems to make them always on edge and they don't they don't experience the life that God describes in, in Psalm 1. They don't experience the blessedness, the, the happiness that, that God here, here describes, that, that God-given security and the life of well-being that's well-lived with God and his people. And isn't that what we want? And isn't that what God wants us to have? Didn't he come so that we could live life as it was meant to be lived? He didn't come so we could be miserable and tormented. He came so that we could understand who he is and what he expects so we would know how to live before him and with each other. And that's really what the Bible is all about. See, when Jesus gave his summary of what God's instruction was all about, he said two things, love God and love your neighbor. Well, that's the path of wisdom. There are more details in the Bible. Sure, we all understand that. But that is the path that Jesus says to us will lead us in the way we want to go and will lead us to the happy life that Psalm 1 describes, that life of God-given security that's free of anxiety and that trusts him. You see, bad things might happen, but when we trust in God and when we walk with him and we do what he says, 
then we can have absolute confidence that he will handle the bad things in our lives. And I am simply amazed at how God has been able over the course of so many bad situations that I've seen or that have been a part of my life, how he is able to take those bad situations and bring good out of them. Nobody wants to go through bad times. I don't want you to have to go through bad times. But more than that, I want you to develop the kind of strength that Psalm 1 describes, where you can walk with God and have a security, a sense of wholeness in your life that comes from understanding what God is about and understanding and putting into practice what he wants you to do. For when we do that, we will have real faith. We will have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, and we will be able to stand no matter what comes, and we will not be blown away because we'll have solid roots in the Word of God and putting it into practice. Well, you have a blessed week. It's so good to spend time with you. God bless you. I'll talk to you again next time.